Oh, hi, everybody. Ezra Levant here in our world headquarters in Toronto. Um, it's great to be back in the chair, and thanks to my friend Sheila. Was it Sheila who was doing the live stream yesterday? Well, she's just great, and uh, I know she's a fan favorite, so apologies to all those who prefer her to me. Uh, she's doing amazing work right now on other things, but I, uh, I've enjoyed being back in the seat here. Uh, doing some of these uh, 1 p.m. Eastern chats, especially given how crazy the news is in the world. I saw some footage, Olivia, I don't know if you saw it, of Air Force One taking off in Tel Aviv. And these days, it's so, you, you got to double check things because, uh, you know, deep fakes are quite something. But Air Force One is a, is a very, it's the most serious aircraft in the world. It has uh, defense systems and, and, and chaff and flares and probably all sorts of secret defenses we don't even know about. Imagine flying into Tel Aviv, which is within rocket range of Hamas in Gaza and Hezbollah in Lebanon. Um, in fact, the other day, we saw the German chancellor uh, Schultz is his name, uh, hit the deck. Like there were rockets landing near the Tel Aviv airport. It was so risky that Air Canada actually announced they're suspending their flights there until the end of the month. Yeah, put that, put this, uh, here's what it was like for the German chancellor. Um, on the, you know, running for cover. I, I don't think that the airport has ever been hit. But it was close enough that they panicked, and those are some staff, and they're ducking and covering. and So that's how it was like for the German chancellor. So imagine you're the president. You're flying in to Tel Aviv. The secretary of state is on the aircraft as well. And um, by the way, the Russians announced they're starting... Uh, a patrol just north of Turkey in, the, I think that's the Black Sea, if my geography is correct, with their MiG-31. Um, do you want to find that as well? Keep that, keep all that Biden stuff that we're going to show it. But Putin did an announcement uh, two days ago uh, in Russian, but there's, uh, I've seen a lot of translations of it. Putin was reacting not to, um, yeah, that's it there, was reacting not to Air Force One, but rather the two aircraft carrier groups coming. So here's what Putin said, just uh, turning the temperature up a little bit. Take a listen. Хочу Они, как известно, имеют дальность свыше тысячи километров со скоростью 9 махов. Yeah, so hold that map there for a second. Uh, if you can go back just a little bit. I was going to actually ask you to call up that map, but it looks like the clip you're using has found it. So um, it may be, uh, actually, this is a pretty good map. So that's the Black Sea. That's basically on the northern coast of Turkey. And, and um, you can see Syria, Lebanon, Cyprus, Jordan, and you can't really see the word Israel, but Israel is uh, pretty much where that bottom dot is. So if you've got Russian uh, 
MiG-31s, which is sort of like their version of, of the American F-15. So it's a pretty good, it's not their super duper most modern, but it's, it's a pretty good aircraft, um, comparable to the F-15, if, if I may. And he was talking about that new super fast missile called the Kinzhal, which I think means dagger in Russian. And it's been used uh, against Ukraine a bit, and it's extremely fast. Mach 9, nine times the speed of sound. Um, whereas, and uh, it's very difficult to intercept, and it can carry quite a large payload. It's a very, in fact, can you Google Kinzel, K, probably K-I-N-Z-A-L. It's a Russian word, so it's not really spelled in English. There might be K-H. I want to show, like, it's a large, yeah, that's it, exactly. Um, can you show, a, like, it's a large thing. Yeah. So that's the F. That's the uh, Mig thirty one. That's a. You can see it almost sort of looks like. Yeah. So you can see there on the right that big missile under the belly there. Yeah. Scroll down a little bit more. Um. Yeah. Mig thirty. So so this is their state of the art missile, and you know there's two two aircraft carriers and a lot of other ships accompanying it. And they have a lot of missile defenses and anti-missiles, and then they have something called a close-in weapon system, which is basically a, a Gatling gun. Is this a Kinzel as well there? Yeah, it looks like it. Like, it's just an extremely fast... Okay, I don't, I don't know what we're looking at now. That looks like a nuclear explosion. Um, sorry, you didn't put that on the screen. I'm looking at the at the confidence monitor there. Um, yeah, that those are other... Yeah, we don't need these viz. Anyway, my only point... Thank you, um, my only point was um, there's a lot of firepower in the region now. None of those countries have uh, a first-rate air force. You know, Turkey doesn't. Turkey's part of NATO. Um, Lebanon doesn't. Syria doesn't. Iran doesn't, really. But Russia has uh, MiG-31s and the Kinzhal. So you've got that Russian threat, which Putin announced. And although the Arab nations and the terrorist groups do not have a you know, modern air force of their own, they do have anti-aircraft missiles. So imagine flying into Israel in the middle of a war. Now, other Western leaders have flown into Ukraine but there's two differences. Ukraine is much larger. Um, and second of all, Russia, however antagonistic they are, they're not insane. They're not going to shoot down the president of the United States and start possibly a nuclear war. Whereas the nihilistic death cults that inhabit the areas around Israel absolutely would take a pot shot. Um, even if the official command structures of the terrorist groups wouldn't, there absolutely would be someone who would say, I can take down Air Force One and go down in history as the guy who killed the American president. So anyway, I just want to show you what it looked like. Did you find that vid of Air Force One taking off from Tel Aviv with the largest escort I have ever seen for Air Force One? I mean, more even than it had during 9-11. Do you have that, Viz? I just, I saw it uh, on TikTok this morning, actually, and I thought, I don't think this is a deep fake. It looks real to me. I'd love to show that video if you have it.
Um, and then I'm going to show you a video from inside Air Force One where Joe Biden was, you know, they, they, I have no idea what meds they pump him full of, but uh, he was obviously coming down. He, he only makes public appearances for a very short period of time every day, and then he's just exhausted. But yeah, go ahead and um, I want to show what the actual... I can help find it for you. I, I, I saw it on, on TikTok, <laughs> so you never know how accurate that is. But I, you know, by the way, I, I get a lot of news on TikTok, but I every single time um, I verify it because there's just so much junk. Well, if you can find it, uh, Air Force One leaving Israel. Anyway, if you can find it, that'd be great. It was just very interesting to me to see the very heavy um, and, and so many jets around it. And I was thinking, what exactly? Oh, you, oh, do you have it there? Yeah, that's it. Let's take a look. So there's Air Force One. Let's see if it's the one I saw on TikTok today with all the escort. No, apparently not. Well, listen, if it's not a high priority, but it, it was sort of amazing to see all the other aircraft that apparently were flying with it. Um, I've just never seen such a thing before. Maybe it was a deep fake, but if you can find it, I'd like to show people. Anyways, uh, I saw I saw some a Democrat on on Twitter flexing, saying, Biden's been to a war zone twice. No other president has. Now, that's obviously not true. Um, U.S. presidents have been to Afghanistan um, many times. In fact, the very first trip that Stephen Harper, the conservative prime minister of Canada, made when he was, uh, after he became prime minister in, um, I think that was 2006, if my memory's right. Um, his very first trip was I think, if, if memory serves, uh, over Christmas to the troops in Afghanistan, which I think was a wonderful symbolic backing of the troops after years of neglect um, under the liberals. And I want to show you a video of Joe Biden on the plane. Um, he's not wearing pajamas, but he's wearing his comfy time outfit. And whatever meds they pump him with are clearly wearing off because he's starting to get droopy and he's starting to fall asleep. And, and just look next to him, to, to his right, to your left, there's a face peering around the corner. <laughs> That's Antony Blinken, the Secretary of State, which, again, emphasizes the high value of this aircraft in a war zone. Uh, I do give him some credit for flying into a war zone. I absolutely do. That's what I'm saying, how risky it is. Um, and I saw the Democrats flexing. Um, on Twitter saying, our, pre our Democrat president's not afraid to fly into a war zone. Um, but I, I think I, I would prefer a president that doesn't have wars to fly into. And I saw Donald Trump posted on his Truth Social Network the other day, four years, zero wars. And you can't really argue with that, can you? Um, if you are a president that has to fly into a war zone that started on your watch, that's not really something to brag about. Anyways, let's listen to um, Joe Biden, who's drifting away here. It's clear why they only let him out in public for a few minutes here, a few minutes there, and then they 
in, in their parlance, they call a lid, which means they're saying to the press, there won't be anything else today. Let's take a look at Joe Biden falling asleep in his PJs. He's ready for nappy time. And to <laughs> peering around the corner, terrified, is Anthony Blinken. Let's take a listen. Virtually every mass shooting, every circumstance where a large number of people have been victimized and lost, I spoke to them. I learned a long time ago what you've all learned in your life. When someone's going through something, it was beyond their comprehension that they ever thought they'd have to go through. If they see someone who they think understands or maybe they're through something not the same but similar, it gives them some sense of hope. And I always get criticized sometimes when my staff because when I go to these events, I stay for three or four hours to answer all their questions. But it matters. It matters a lot. And, uh, Look, I'm talking, some of you have gone through a hell of a lot more than I've gone through, and a lot more than other people have gone through, and you understand. So it's just, it's just, uh, people are looking for just something to grab, something that gives them some sense, sense of hope. And that's, if I can do a little bit of that, then it's, you know, it's worth doing for me. So. Yeah, I think he's muttering. He's 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 fading. Um, even when he was meeting with Netanyahu, he was stumbling, and he 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 could barely grasp words. He called Hamas the other team, talking about the other team's got to shoot straight. Like he said, it looks like the hospital attack was on. Uh, the Palestinian terrorists, they got to learn how to shoot straight. Like just idea farts coming into his head. Anthony Blinken just praying that Biden won't say anything insane and that they can take him back to nappy time. Can you put on the screen a still image of his chin? And this is really not that relevant, not that important. Obviously, it's far less important than what the man has to say and what the man has to think. But it shows just... It really is like Weekend at Bernie's. Can you see his chin? That's not the best shot of it. Um, there's some other ones that are more sort of dead on. Yeah, yeah, right there. Yeah, you, or a little bit, or half a, yeah, right there. It it reminds me of the chin in, um, what's that Jim Carrey movie? The Mask. Can you get, can you do a... <laughs> You find an image of Jim Carrey, the mask, and flip back and forth between them. Jim Carrey, for those of you under 40, was a popular comedian in the 90s. And uh, yeah, that's it there. Um, he was Canadian. Actually, he was, in, he was he, there was a point in time when he was one of the funniest guys. He was like the, the Will Ferrell of his day, but he was more sort of facial contortions and stuff. And... Um, Dumb and Dumber, his absolute best, and he was in uh, Ace Ventura, Pet Today. He was he was the comedian of the '90s and 2000s. Uh, and there it is. So he did this movie called The Mask, and 
so look at that chin and then compare that with Joe Biden's chin. And I'm not just having a lark, which I am. Uh, This is a kind of mask because they're taking his skin and pulling it so tight and the face and the hair and the eyes and the, and that's just his outward look. They're pumping him with so, and who knows what it is, um, just so he doesn't fall asleep for a few minutes here and a few minutes there. I think he probably spends 12 hours a day sleeping and two hours a day doing some other sort of medical stuff. Uh, they often send his wife out to take him off of the stage because he gets lost up there. I, I said um, on some interview yesterday or the day before that a whole bunch of Arab nations canceled their meeting with, I think it was with Biden, um, over the hoax of the Israel attack on that hospital in Gaza, which we all now know was a Palestinian rocket that went awry. But no one in the world, I mean, let's let's be honest, Donald Trump's hair is a bit of something too. And Donald Trump is surely, um, you know, using some, uh, let's just say supplements to stay fresh as a daisy. Um, but I don't think anyone would doubt that Donald Trump is cognitively there. But the whole world knows that that Biden is a laugh, is a joke. And if you are canceling your meeting, yeah, Biden snubbed by Middle East allies as Arab world seethes over Gaza hospital blast, which, by the way, was done by the Hamas ally, Palestinian Islamic Jihad. You're canceling a meeting with the U.S. president? the commander-in-chief of the most powerful nation in the world? Well, maybe they don't think, A, that he's the commander-in-chief, and maybe they actually don't think he's, it's the most powerful country in the world anymore. Maybe they think, well, we'll side with Vladimir Putin, or we'll side with Xi Jinping, or we'll side with the regional superpower, Iran. Maybe uh, they know that unlike Trump, who took things personally sometimes and um, had, you know, if you touched him, he would he would smash you back. Maybe they know that Joe Biden just takes it or whoever's really running things. So that's, that's sort of incredible. Um, you know, I, I see news that there was a, there's an American memer. You know what a meme is. It's, uh, it's just like a little... Fun, usually fun, usually witty, visual uh, Twitter post or Facebook post or Instagram post. It's called a meme. Sometimes they're drawn as comics. Sometimes it's um, a classic scene from a movie with print put on top. There's some memes that, uh, you know that guy drinking the cup of coffee with that unhappy (laughs) smile? You know who I'm talking about? I see him in, in new ads now. Do you know what I'm talking about? That um, unhappy coffee meme? Or uh, unhappy smile. Anyways, yeah. If you Google unhappy smile meme, 
unhappy smile meme. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about in one second. It's this guy, and he's just some guy who was in some uh, clip art, like some stock photo, drinking a cup of coffee with a smile, but it's got to be the saddest smile. You know that? <laughs> I'm sure you've seen this guy. That is stock photography. And that, I think it's his eyes and the fact that that smile looks so, so fake. And that guy, who was just some, he probably got paid 50 bucks to be in this stock art. There are a gazillion memes of that guy because, like, it's just a painful smile. So that's a meme for those of you over 50 who don't know. So memes are often funny and they're often um, really odd. Most memes don't work. Most memes aren't funny. Um, and that's half the fun of the memes is that they're goofy and anyone can make them. And, uh, for example, that, that stretched face Joe Biden with the two lumpy chin nodules, that's going to become a meme. I'm sure it already is. Um, there was a guy in the 2020 election who made a meme joking about when to vote, where to vote, uh, and it was fake. You know, it was it, that was part of the joke. Can you find that? I forget his name, but if you do, like he was just convicted yesterday, I think. Yeah, he made a a meme. Um, and oh, look how the New York Times phrases it. You got a man who spread misinformation on Trump's behalf. You have to, this is the New York Times. I just show the headline just for a second there. Um, okay, yeah, get it that way. So memes are jokes, right? Um, but if you are a memer, you can be very powerful because you're very funny. Man who spread misinformation on Trump's behalf, sentenced to seven months. The man, Douglas Mackey, spread internet memes meant to fool people into not voting for Hillary Clinton in 2016. Um, let's show some of those memes. Are there any in the actual story there? Or was that little text box? A, um, they're not even showing them. And, and there's a reason why. Because you'll see how um, funny or, or meek they are. And the fact that in the United States of America, with the First Amendment, you can be sentenced to seven months in prison for a meme tells you the state of things. So type in Douglas, two S's, Mackie meme. I want to actually show people what he was jailed for. Yeah, there it is. If you just do Douglas, two S's, Mackie. Yeah, that's it right there. <laughs> avoid the line vote from home text hillary to 59925 vote for hillary and be a part of history uh i think that's funny um i i don't think there's evidence that a single person was that stupid and <laughs> did that. Um, now, maybe you don't think it's funny. And that's your right under the First Amendment as well, if you're an American. Imagine going to prison for seven months. And by the way, this guy, 
Douglas Mackey, if I'm not mistaken, you can see he was tweeting that from an account named Ricky Vaughn, which was sort of a famous, I guess that was 2016 then, not 2020. Um, imagine his life for the last seven years. They put him through the process for seven. Yeah, when I said 2020, no, that must have been 2016. And uh, by the way, Elon Musk re responded to the story just yesterday. Um, someone named uh, Myth underscore Pilot on Twitter said, here's the story of Douglas Mackey, the Twitter poster who helped Trump win the election in 2016 and is now being persecuted by the Biden Department of Justice for posting memes. He goes to trial today and faces 10 years in prison. This is the situation and what it means to you. And... Um, Elon Musk replied, you know, someone said, this sounds concerning, and Elon Musk said, yeah. And, um, I mean, it's been in the news a little a little while. I think we did a, a an interview with, not this guy, but I think his lawyer a while back. So if you make a meme, now I think that meme's funny. Hey guys, just text Hillary to 59925 to vote. Let's make history. I th I think that's funny because Boy, you got to be dumb to believe that. Um, and there's a lot of lies on the internet. And someone who was very technical might say both campaigns, I'm not going to say necessarily lie, although I, I, I doubt there's a single campaign in, in American presidential history that has not lied. Part of the job of the campaigns is to lower the reputation of the other side and um, boost your own side. So you're probably fibbing in both directions. And to get your vote out and maybe get the other guy not to want to vote so much. It's a, it's a form of peaceful warfare, which is why it's preferable to war. And it comes down to the ordinary person to be the judge of it. And look at that just for one more second. Which did more damage? This goofy meme by Publius Gaius, the Ricky Vaughn, did anyone actually even do this? And did that cause the vote to be swayed? Versus what our trusted media did two days ago, when they immediately believed that a hospital in Gaza was attacked by an Israeli missile because Hamas said so. Show that, show that um, the three New York Times headlines. You know the ones where they, they slowly realized they had lied? Well, it's not just the New York Times. Every media outlet in the world, practically, as soon as Hamas said, there's been a massacre 500 Palestinians are dead in a hospital. Israel has launched a missile at us. It's a war crime. It's genocide. Every single media in the world immediately ran that headline. Yeah, look at that New York Times. And what's incredible is the New York Times, um, the photo they used wasn't even of the hospital because there was no photos of the hospital. We, we now... 
know what the front page, sorry, we now know what the hospital looks like. Um, we now know it wasn't an Israeli missile attack. Yeah, so here's the New York Times. Israeli strike kills hundreds in hospital, comma, Palestinians say. Then they changed it to at least 500 dead in strike on Gaza hospital, Palestinians say. And then they changed strike to at least 500 dead in blast at Gaza hospital, Palestinians say. And um, all of that is wrong. It's not Palestinians who said it. It was Hamas that said it. There was not a strike. It was a rocket launched by another terrorist group called Islamic Jihad. It did not hit the hospital. The, the rocket fell into the parking lot outside. And um, no, there were not 500 people killed. Not at all. Um, can you show um, the images from this morning, or maybe they were from yesterday, of the parking lot? Which, there's no big crater there. Uh, something did fall, and yeah, you can see. So that's the parking lot of the hospital. The hospital's behind there. So it looks like something hit the parking lot, but all the structures are standing. Those are solar panels on the roof there, by the way. They were not broken. It looks like these cars caught fire in the parking lot. I don't think there was anyone in the parking lot. I could be wrong on that. It was nighttime. Um, so every single element of that story was wrong. It was not a strike. It was not by Israel. It did not hit the hospital. It did not kill 500 people. But all of those, quote, facts were propagated by the, tr the high trust media, the ones who say you can only trust us. And so I come back to the meme that that Douglas Mackey posted. Oh, we need to control the Internet to make sure we don't have disinformation because some moron might type 59225 in their phone to think they're voting for Hillary. <laughs> That's funny. If you're that dumb. Um, but I don't think there's any evidence that anyone actually did try to vote that way. And if they, if they did, I don't think there's any evidence that it was enough to sway the election. I, I, I literally think they just wanted to get an effective meme maker, because it's hard to meme. It's hard to be funny. Being funny is the hardest thing in the world. It's easy to be angry. It's easy to be strident. But being funny is very hard. And that's a funny meme. So that guy's going to prison for seven months. I thought the U.S. had the First Amendment, but uh, apparently that's uh, there's a Hillary exception. If you make fun of Hillary, um, you don't have the First Amendment. What about the, the editor of the New York Times? What about the reporters of the BBC? What about Melanie Jolie, who until, who was not too long ago, the heritage minister in charge of censorship? Can you go to Melanie Jolie's Twitter account? Because this um, Islamic Jihad rocket that hit the hospital happened two days ago now, if I'm not mistaken. And yet Melanie Jolie tweeted long after, long after the facts came out. Um, 
No, I think it would be a few days ago. You, Linda Frum responded to it, so maybe it's faster to go to Linda Frum's. Um, oh, there it is. Per yeah, perfect. Yeah, show that there. So she did this 5.30 p.m. on October 17th. By which time all the facts were in. This was like eight hours after all the facts were in. Bombing a hospital is an unthinkable act, and there is no doubt that doing so is absolutely illegal. Go to rate proposed community notes, because there's some proposed community notes there. Here's one. Attacks against hospitals is prohibited under international humanitarian, blah, blah, blah. Okay, scroll down a little bit. So there's all these different proposed community notes, and I guess you can vote on them. I don't find any of them particularly useful, but I'll say this. The Israeli military, Joe Biden, and the American intelligence, the, the American Pentagon have both confirmed it, as well as video evidence of the rocket, as well as uh, a cell phone conversation between two terrorist operatives. But most importantly, you just saw the hospital is still standing. Even the solar panels on the roof remain. It, a bomb, would, a missile would leave a large crater. This was just a part of a rocket falling in a parking lot. And I'm not glad that that happened at all. It must have been terrifying. But Hamas immediately said Israel just killed 500 people. And Melanie Jolie, who's Canada's laughable foreign minister, eight hours after that fact was known, put up that tweet with the blood libel. So who is spreading misinformation and disinformation? I want to bring it home to one story and then we're going to take a commercial break. So Douglas Mackey, seven months in prison for a meme that I think is pretty funny, for a meme that there's no evidence did any damage, uh, certainly not compared to what the New York Times and the BBC and, frankly, Melanie Jolie and others did. But look at what was in the Capitol. If I was a Democrat, I'd call this an insurrection, an insurrection. Look at what happened in Congress yesterday by uh, supporters of Hamas, by the way. Take a look. Sure. Outside the House office buildings here in the United States Capitol complex. Law enforcement is mobilizing. The mob has literally shut down the street. You take a look. Okay, thanks for that. So that so that's outside. But there's some video of them inside. And I'd love it if you could find that. Because 
that's the comparison I'm, I'm looking to make. Uh, because um, in January of 2020, when a number of Trump supporters and agents provocateurs, including some federal agents, moved into the Capitol buildings for what I call the great meandering. They were arrested in mass. They've been held in prison for three years um, and they're being prosecuted jail time for all of them. Yeah, here it is right now. So this was this was yesterday. So it's important to me to show that they are in Congress. Now, I was told that's called an insurrection. I was told call that, that that's a greater threat to the republic since anything greater than 9-11, greater than Pearl Harbor. That's, that's what's been said about the Trump insurrection, the January 6th insurrection. And uh, we just had it yesterday with the pro-Hamas activists. I don't know if there were even any arrests let alone prosecutions, let alone seven-month, seven-year jail term. Was it seven months? Seven months. Seven months jail terms for a meme. That's the double standard. And, and that's, the, uh, that's the revolution for you. You know, a, a couple of weeks ago, I attended a, a speech in Calgary given by Dr. James Lindsay, who has been a guest on my show a number of times. And he calls woke communism. And I'm, I've been really loath to call things communism because I don't want to be the, the kind of guy who says communism, communism, just like others say fascism, fascism. I want to be very careful when I use that word because I don't want it just to become an insult. I want it to become, I want it to remain descriptive. But I actually think that a lot of wokeness is, I won't say communism, I say Marxism, cultural Marxism, designed to foment a revolution. I think that's what cultural Marxism is when it's applied to feminism, when it's applied to gen transgenderism, certainly when it's applied to race, Black Lives Matter, and here when it's applied to the Palestinian issue. And um, as Lindsay said yesterday, it's never about the thing, it's always about the revolution. So whatever the fact is, whatever the situation is, that's the opportunity to move the revolution forward. So when Douglas Mackey gets sentenced to seven months in prison, it's because he's against the Marxist revolution. So get him on whatever. That's what Lavrenti Beria, the head of the um, Soviet, Stalin's Soviet secret policeman, he said, um, show me the man and I'll find you the crime. So the reason why the Hamas left activists in Congress yesterday were not prosecuted, but the January Sixers were, the reason why the New York Times disinformation on the front page won't be prosecuted for disinformation, but Douglas Mackey was, has nothing to do with being in the Congress or publishing disinformation. That's just the incident, the example of the day, that's just the news peg, as you might say. It's all about the revolution. It's all about destabilizing your enemies and replacing them with the revolutionaries. And 
Hey, let me say two obvious things about the, the hospital in Gaza. War crime, genocide. I mean, Melanie Jolie herself is saying that. But if it were, God forbid, to have been Israel that have done it, there would be war crimes hearings. There, there would be a constant demand for that. This story would go on for months. Now that everyone in the, the establishment media grudgingly acknowledges Israel didn't do it, they don't care about it anymore. They, they're not calling for war crimes, prosecutions. They're not talking about it. So they're done. You see what I mean? The hospital was not the issue. The revolution was the issue. They didn't actually care if Palestinians were killed. And thank God it looks like, I don't know if any Palestinians were, were killed. I mean, some, some cars were scorched in a parking lot. And I think some stained glass windows were broken from the shock. But that's it. But what was that rocket that the Palestinian Islamic Jihad fired? What was it meant to do? It was meant to go a little bit further out of Gaza and into southern Israel. And as you can see, it's very poorly aimed. It's pretty much a homemade rocket. It was designed and fired with the purpose of killing Jews. And that, I haven't seen a, a single headline about that. So it is, not, it is not controversial. That's the rocket there. That was, uh, there were a number of sources. Al Jazeera itself um, was streaming live, and they caught the rocket. Um, it's incontrovertible that this was not an Israel attack. It's also evident in the light of day that the hospital was not hit, and 500 people were not killed. But so what? If they got away with that lie, great. If they didn't, move on to the next one. Because it wasn't actually about Palestinian kids in a hospital. It was just, can we frame up Israel? Can we denormalize them? And no one actually cares about rock. Where's the story about what that rocket was meant to hit? It was meant to hit some Israelis. It was meant to hit some Jews. Oh, it's not interesting. That's not interesting. What's interesting is that we tried to lie about it. Like, where's the story about what that rocket was fired for, by whom, and what it was meant to do? Um, let's take a short break now because I want to tell you a few things that we got cooking. And then uh, we'll come back and we'll, we'll shift gears a little bit. Do you want to start feeling like your pre-COVID self again? You're not alone. The wellness company's Spike Support Formula is an all-natural supplement to help people do just that. It was created by cardiologist Peter McCullough and his expert team of doctors to help the people experiencing effects from COVID and the you-know-what. Go to twc.health rebel today. I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. After years, I'm finally coming to Canada. I'm a practicing internist and cardiologist. I've trained in epidemiology. The FDA wanted to block the Pfizer dossier for 55 years. 50% of the lives at that time could have been saved. We were at about 250,000 deaths. Red Deer, Thursday, November 9th. Get tickets at canadiansfortruth.ca. See you Thursday, November 9th. Hey, Ben Shapiro here. This November, the Wilberforce Project is bringing me to Canada. If you want to fight the woke machine destroying families, join me in Calgary for my talk, hosted by the Wilberforce Project. Go to benshapirolive.ca for info and tickets.
Come on out November 25th. It's all aboard the Freedom Train in Niagara-on-the-Lake. You can check Rebel News for updates and also the Freedom Passport site. Tamara Leach, who led the Truckers' Convoy, will be sharing the stage with some of the finest international recording artists. Like the Chops Horns from New York City, who's played with Alicia Keys, Stevie Wonder, the Rolling Stones, and many more. Plus, New World Sun, just off a European tour. And the legendary R&B master, Leroy Emanuel. Get on the Freedom Train with Tamara Leach. Saturday, November 25th at Niagara-on-the-Lake Central Community Center, 680 York Road. Get your tickets today at freedompassport.ca. The Freedom Train is coming. Know your rights. Know your freedoms. That looks really fun. That looks really fun. I've seen Tamara Leach uh, before playing just uh, at an event. She was just taking some downtime playing the guitar. And she's in a band, like a real band. And uh, doesn't that look like a fun event? I tell you, I'm, I, I think I might go myself, you know, see if I can convince someone to go with me. Um, that sounds like fun. I think that's a hoot. All aboard the Freedom Train. So that's Saturday, November 25th. How much are tickets? 46 bucks. That's not bad. It's tough to get a concert ticket for less than that. And it looks like it's more than just that. It looks like there's a whole thing. So um, click on get tickets. Like, what do you get for that? If you just click on, does it tell you anything more? No. Okay, well, I'll have to learn a little bit more about that. But that sounds fun. Don't you think that sounds fun? Like, just something completely different. And... Uh, I think it's remarkable that she's been able to stay sort of normal and even keeled, um, considering how uh, what they put her through. You know, I, I saw a story. Let me see if I can send it to you. I, I saw it on the CBC of all places. Let me see if I can find it and send it to you. Um, yeah, there it is. Let me, I'm just going to put in the, uh, put this in the live stream uh, Slack feed. So. You know, I, I went to Ottawa to cover a day of her, her trial, and I just, um, I couldn't stand it. I mean, I'm, I'm very interested in her case. I, I like her. As you know, we published Tamara Leach's book called Hold the Line, instant bestseller. I, I've had the chance to meet her probably 10 times now. I, I like her more every time I see her. I've met her husband. Um, I've gotten to know her lawyer a little bit, Lawrence Greenspawn. Of course, the Democracy Fund is crowdfunding her her legal fees. Uh, I went on a bit of a book tour with her. So I'm very interested in her. I'm very interested in the trucker convoy. We covered it extensively, more than anyone else in the world. We covered it. We've crowdfunded legal fees for many other truckers. I am a former lawyer myself, so I, um, I find trials interesting. I've live tweeted probably 20 trials in the last five years, maybe probably more, more. Probably done six or seven hearings for Arthur Pavlovsky alone. Ottawa, I, I like going to Ottawa. Um, I used to live there when I was younger. So you would think I would love covering the Tamara Lee's trial. 
I mean, I don't. I hate the fact that the trial is proceeding, but I'm really invested in that trial. Think about it. I mean, we're crowdfunding the lawyer. We're 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 publishing her book. We we care about her. We care. I couldn't stand being in the court. Why? Because I sat there hour after hour after hour while the prosecution put forward witnesses that had absolutely nothing to do with the trial. It is a criminal charge against Tamara Leach and a guy named Chris Barber. Pretty similar cases against them both. Uh, inciting mischief or something, I forget the exact, like, it's, it, there's, it's, there's nothing violent, they didn't do anything violent, they didn't steal anything, they didn't vandalize anything, they didn't, you know, there was some horn honking going on. <laughs> um, they certainly didn't chant for death to the Jews like these Hamas rallies. And so, I was there when they had some city bureaucrat testifying for a whole day about his thoughts about the convoy. And how he would go out for a walk to get a coffee, and he would meander. And Samantha Leach's lawyer, Lawrence Greenspan, very early on said, did you have any interactions with Tamara Leach? Did you ever meet with her? Did you ever talk with her? Did you ever email with her? Did you ever have meetings with her? Did you, did, have you ever interacted with her? Have you ever observed anything? Have you ever witnessed anything about her at all? No. Oh, okay, so, so why are you a witness in her criminal trial? Oh, I just want to tell you my thoughts on the convoy. And then for the next eight hours, he would give his deep thoughts on the convoy. I, I mean, I listened. I, I, I was, you can find my live tweets of the day. I was saying, you know, I remember he said, well, I went for a walk and I wasn't taking notes or anything. So I wasn't gathering evidence. I was just making some casual observations. Okay, so you, so you, you just said that you were not gathering evidence. You just told us that. Thank you for your honesty. And then for the next hour, you proceed to tell us evidence, which you admit wasn't evidence. You didn't take notes. You, you don't have any connection to the defendant here. This is a criminal trial where someone's liberty hangs in the balance. And for a full day, some know-nothing bureaucrat who had no interaction with her whatsoever is just having a personal therapy session <clears throat> talking about his thoughts, his deep thoughts on the convoy, like he's a pundit or something. And there's Samara Leach, and there's Chris Barber, and there's the lawyers, and there's the prosecutors, and there's the judge, and there's the clerks, and there's the cops, the, the sheriffs. So the whole thing's running at, what, $20,000 a day? And the judge is judges in hearing rape or murder cases, the judges in hearing cases where... You know, you know, where life hangs in the balance, because we're all here gathered today to listen to some bureaucrat who's never even met or interacted with Tamara Leach. Give us his deep thoughts. Because the crown has no evidence, I think what else could. They, and then they have the next one and the next one and the next one. And how long has this trial been going on for? I think they're at a month now in terms of actual sitting days. So I. I thought I was going to be going to Ottawa to cover this trial every day. Because, like I say, I, I can't think of something that's of a greater interest to me. I, I, I did not have the stomach for it. I was walking into, I, I might have told you this story before. I, was, I walked out of the court during a break. I was walking in. Um, there, there was a number of people who were covering this trial. Uh, some are, quote, professional journalists. Some are 
citizen journalists, some are volunteer amateur journalists, a lot of interest in this. So this lady's walking in, and I just said hi to her, and she said she's a former uh, court reporter. Well, now there's someone who's heard a lot of trials. Um, now, she's not a lawyer. She's not a paralegal. Um, but she's probably heard more trials than most lawyers, right? Like if you are literally in court every day, type, 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 and you got to be extremely accurate. And maybe you don't have the deep legal background because you – but but I tell you, you sit in, you sit in a courtroom for 20 years. Um, I'd hire you as my lawyer, even if you're not a lawyer. I mean, I'd hire you as my legal agent or whatever, right? Like you tell me. You have someone sitting in court for 20 years, watching the best and the worst, listening to the judges – yeah, that's that's someone who knows, right? So I was talking to her, and I said, what do you make of this? And she said she had never seen anything like it in her career. So she said to me, she couldn't believe that prosecution witness after prosecution witness had nothing to say about the trial of Tamara Leach, which is why they were there. But they were using it as a soapbox, as a therapy session, as a blog, as a, a, I don't know why, as some vain exercise. And so I want to show you a story um, that the CBC posted a couple days ago, earlier this week. Freedom Convoy made it near impossible to live. Zexi Lee tells trial. Trial of convoy leaders Tamara Leach and Chris Barber enters 17th day. So I think it's on its 20th day today, which is when you think about a five days of hearings a week, so it's been a, a month of full hearings. Did you know it was almost impossible to live? Did you know that a city of Ottawa, what's that, in the greater Ottawa area, a million people, did you know they almost all died from the honking? Did you know that? I wouldn't have known that without this expert, Zexy Lee, who happens to be a government bureaucrat. Shocker. Here, let me read a little bit of that. The young public servant thrust into the spotlight when she agreed to become the lead plaintiff in a multi-million dollar proposed class action against Freedom Convoy organizers is testifying in the criminal trial of two of them, Tamara Leach and Chris Barber. Zexy Lee's testimony, blah, blah, blah. Shadowed by court security, she said from the witness box it was near impossible to get by during the protest and difficult to live as a human being, describing the horns as constant, like the horn honking. It's amazing that she managed to so thank God she's alive. She said the horns blared most commonly between 7 a.m. and 11 p.m., and sometimes there were occasional blasts of horns throughout the night. She also described a very loud noise that was reminiscent of an air raid horn. Lee is one of the local witnesses called by Crown lawyers, along with business owners and other residents, to illustrate the scope, nature, and consequences of the protest and rebut any suggestion it was peaceful. Um, let me just, uh, spoiler alert here, Zexy Lee has never met, interacted with, observed, talked with um, Tamara Leach at all, knows nothing about her. She just really was irritated by the horn honking. Oh, and sorry, almost forgot to mention, she's suing Tamara Leach and the other truckers for millions of dollars. So she has a very keen interest in besmirching them because there's money around. Oh, and she's a government bureaucrat, so she wants to please her boss, Justin Trudeau. Um, 
After a court injunction was successfully granted against the honking, Lee said the horns continued to blare, though they were less common, along with some scheduled honking as the noise permeated my existence. Wow. The honking happened so consistently that even when it wasn't happening, I could expect it to happen at any other time. Cuckoo, cuckoo. Um, this is my favorite line in the CBC's reporting. Lee, wearing a white V-neck T-shirt with matching wide leg dress pants, said during the following weeks of protest they would be scheduled honking. I, I just loved the CBC uh, uh, writing that. Boy, boy, there were a lot of liberals who hated his description of what she was wearing. Um, okay, so that's what she said, as uh, Michael Scott would say. But... Um, and you may remember Zexy Lee. I certainly do. She was one of the first witnesses at the, at the liberal inquiry into the use of the Emergencies Act. So she testified in front of a liberal appointed judge with some Trudeau lawyers um, a year ago, if you remember, or not quite a year ago. But the public inquiry run by the liberal appointee had really loosey-goosey rules of evidence. Hearsay was allowed. There was extremely limited time. There really wasn't any cross-examination. So it's a little bit different in a criminal trial because the criminal defendant has some actual rights. And so for the first time, um, Zexy Lee has to answer some tough questions. Yeah, I see you found uh, a clip of her at the Public Inquir Order Inquiry Commission. That's the name of the uh, the liberal appointed judge reviewing the emergency act. Just play just a little bit of that, just so people can remember what Zexy Lee was like when she was given softballs in front of the liberal inquiry. Just play a minute, just for reference. So, would you say that you felt unsafe walking the streets? I, I didn't feel I didn't feel safe. But it's hard to describe it as unsafe at the same time because I was actively being so cognizant of my surroundings. I'm fast. I can move very fast. So, you know, I'm, I was always ready to, you know, take myself out of a situation where something might happen. And you know what? Like a lot of the times when they're bouncing their trucks and their cars and I don't know how to describe it other than like roaring at us, like roaring at me with like these large giant vehicles, you know, it's the idea was to move quick and get where you needed to go. Um, and you know, that was, that was the intention. And that's what you really had to do, I think, to stay safe because when you didn't take your time, they would always get to you, like not, maybe not in the sense that you're thinking, but they would try and come up to you and convince you that they were doing the right thing. And they would say to me, like they, I, like on more than one occasion, I would try and plead with them because, you know, there's a certain desperation in being left in the kind of situation where the people that are supposed to help you weren't helping you. And it was just ongoing for really, an, it was, going to be an unknown period of time because really every day I woke up and I hoped that it was over and it never was. Um, sorry, I lost my train of thought a little there. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, Ms. Delaronde, would you say that you felt unsafe walking the street? Thanks very much. You know, imagine 20 days of that. And I went out and they were roaring at me 
And uh, I, I didn't feel safe, but I didn't feel unsafe. And I did. I tried to talk to them, and they tried to talk to me. And I'm really fast. And uh, the people who were supposed to help me didn't help me. And uh, like, just um, imagine twenty days of that in a criminal trial where none of the witnesses so far have ever met, spoken with, emailed, talked to, phone called the criminal suspect, Tamir Leach. So let me read one of my favorite parts in this CBC story, and I don't say that a lot. Let me go back to the CBC story. During cross-examination, okay, Lee told Leach's lawyer, Lawrence Greenspawn, she heard honking specifically on February 7th. And then again, on either February 17th and 18th. Okay, so she heard honking on the 7th, and then 10 days or 11 days later, she heard some honking. I hope, I hope she's okay. I hope she's okay. She looked pretty jokey and in good spirits there at the public order inquiry. So she heard some honking on February 7th, and then again on February 17th. Now, I, I used to live in Ottawa. I worked in Ottawa for a while. I lived in a wonderful neighborhood downtown called the Byward Market. I lived above a pub, <laughs> and I knew that when I moved in. It was a while ago. I can't remember when bars closed in, in Ottawa back then. I think it was like uh, 1 a.m. or maybe midnight. And so every night at, at midnight or, or 1 a.m., if I was sleeping, I was woken up because the pub emptied out on the street, and I was like one story above the pub. And sometimes there were emergency vehicles. And you know what that's called? That's called living downtown in a big city. Not that big, but... So she heard honking on the 7th and then again on the 17th. Whew. I'm glad she's, you know, she almost didn't live. Let me, let me, <laughs> let me read some more here. Because my point in telling you this is, unlike um, that Kumbaya liberal judge-led hearing, there's a real lawyer cross-examining now. And like I say, nothing turns on this. Now, these people met Tamara Leach. None of them have anything to say about whether she's guilty or not. Um, but the fact, and, and a lot of them have special interests, like this is Xie Lee is trying to get rich by suing the truckers. But this is the first time she's ever been held to account. And let, let me work through this a little bit. I'm going to take a few more minutes here. I know it's after two o'clock, but I'm getting to my point. During cross-examination, she said she heard honking on the, seven, on the 7th and then again on the 17th and 18th. That sounds pretty traumatic. She said she couldn't speak to the duration or specific dates of when she heard honking, an air raid siren, megaphones, a roaming horn, or fireworks. She just, she, she's pretty sure she heard that, but, and this, you, she didn't bother taking notes or anything, and just trust her when she said she heard an air raid siren. The injunction granted on her behalf sought only to stop the honking for an initial period of 10 days, follow, allowing for peaceful, lawful, and safe protests to be permitted so long as the injunction wasn't violated. The injunction was extended beyond the original 10-day period after the original order expired with the same terms in place. Scroll down a little bit longer, a little bit longer, a um, little bit longer. Okay, Lee described feeling intimidated by an encounter with a trucker who shook his fist and honked his horn and described protesters establishing structures to become more entrenched, like the bouncy castles. 
Oh, look at this. As the Freedom Convoy continued, including a makeshift soup kitchen. Well, that's terrifying. I'm glad she survived that. I'm almost at my point here, guys. By the third week after the injunction had been granted against honking, she said protesters became hostile when she was taking pictures. She described calling police after a truck backed into her. Oh, my God. Okay, I take back everything I've said. It's one thing to be honked at. Um, and you heard her say she had chats with people. But did you hear that? A truck backed into her. Okay, that's not messing around, you guys. First of all, we know trucks are evil. They have horns. But putting, no joking, a truck back into you, I presume she means on purpose. That's, that's assault with a weapon. That's aggravated assault. You should go to prison. for If you try and run over someone with a truck, you should go to prison. Okay, I take back everything I said. She almost did die. She described calling police after a truck backed into her. Okay, scroll down a little bit. Under cross-examination, she said the truck didn't make contact with her, only, only because I moved out of the way. Okay, so the truck didn't back into her. Okay, that's a relief. Because she had always said the truck backed into her. Now, now it didn't. She said she believed she filed, she police filed a report, but no further action was taken as a result of the incident. She believed she did, or she did, or she didn't, or she just talked about it on Twitter. Lee also described convoy vehicles slowing down ambulances that had been responding to a call and roads that were completely blocked off, but she couldn't remember specifics. Oh, okay. Now, I happen to know for a fact because I was there in trial and I heard the city bureaucrat say that the city worked with the truckers to ensure there was an emergency laden open on all the streets, including Wellington. So I heard with my own ears under oath the city saying, no, no, we kept them open. But Zexy League said, no, no, no. They were completely blocked off, but she couldn't remember specifics. I'll keep reading. She also said she couldn't take the bus because routes were relocated. And the, the, the smell was almost inescapable. At one point during her testimony, she was cautioned to stop using the word occupation because the trial is using protest or demonstration to describe the events of the convoy, and occupation is a different legal definition. Jester Heather McVeigh Perkins told court the language could impact the credibility of Lee's testimony. You don't say. So the fact that someone's suing the truckers for millions of dollars and calls it an occupation, maybe her credibility's in question, but I'm getting to it. I'm, here's the part. I've, been, I've taken 10 minutes to get here, but here's what I was waiting for, folks. And I note I'm quoting from the CBC, so everything here is worse than it sounds. This is the best foot forward for Zexy Lee. Courthouse tensions. The latter portion of Monday's proceeding was highlighted by Greenspawn asking Lee about conversations she had after exiting the witness box. Let me just tell you a little something. When you're giving testimony in court, when you're a witness, no one's allowed to talk with you about your testimony until it's all over. Not even your own lawyer. It's an important rule because if you're saying insane things <laughs> and everyone knows it except for you, it's important for the court that you're not coached on what to say. you got to answer truthfully. And you saw how goofy Zexy Lee is when she's uncoached. And you, and you can sort of see that Greenspawn is asking her basic questions and everything she says is either a fib, an exaggeration, a lie. 
I was run over. Okay, I wasn't run over, but I might have been if I didn't move. Okay, the honking was constant, except for, I guess, 10 days when it wasn't. Um, yeah, there was the, these air raid sirens. I don't remember anything about when, where, or who, but take, you know, I'm serious, guys. So, my and, and she was on there for hours and hours. And it's obvious that she was saying insane things and contradictory things. So, it's so important that you know that if you are a witness in a proceeding like this, you cannot talk to anyone about your testimony whatsoever, even your own lawyer. Even, in fact, especially your own lawyer, because your own lawyer would point out the devastating things you're admitting. The latter portion of Monday's proceeding was highlighted by Greenspan asking Lee about conversations she had after exiting the witness box. Lee said she spoke with her lawyer for... Not more than five to ten minutes. Oh, well, then that's okay. Then that's okay. In the courthouse before leaving, Greenspan wanted to know whether she had spoken about her testimony with her legal counsel in her civil case, which would have violated directions of the court. Lee, who was seen exiting the courthouse in tears, said she was upset after leaving the courthouse. I was trying to calm myself, and as a result of my reaction, we decided that I would go home alone over lunch, she said Monday in front of a crowd that was slightly larger than typical for the trial. Lee's cross-examination by Greenspan and Magus continued with the two trying to poke holes in her credibility by comparing what she had told the court and what she said in her testimony the Public Order Inquiry Commission one year earlier. That's so unfair. That's so unfair for them to ask her questions showing how she's told different stories to different people. That's not fair. The lawyers focused on how she described the frequency of honking and her response to the protest, including her recollection of telling protesters to go back to where the F you are from. So she said that to the protesters. Her disappointment with the police response and her knowledge of an incident in which eggs were thrown at the protesters from the building she was in. I think that her testimony on the surface was genuine as to how she felt about things. But when you went beyond this to what she actually said under oath, there were numerous contradictions, Greenspan said outside the courthouse. So that'll be something that the judge has to consider when looking at her credibility. Okay, thanks very much. That's enough for me on that one. So Zexy Lee, who is suing the truckers for millions, and who said she almost died along with the rest of Ottawa, they barely survived, said the honking was incessant, and she was always bracing it for it to come. It looks like, and this is the CBC, so this is the most pro Zexy Lee anti-trucker report you will ever get. <laughs> um, there were 10 days when there was no honking at all, and then she heard a, honk, a horn honk one more time. And she almost didn't make it, folks. And she said she, she said the truckers were abusive, but it, it turns out she's the one who told them to go the F back to where they came from. And uh, she's the one who swore at them. She's the one who was excited about people in her building allegedly throwing eggs at the truckers. And she's the one who can't keep her story straight. Another way of saying that is she's a goddamn liar. And the thing about lying is it's not against the law to lie. I should tell you that. Just in case you're wondering. But it is against the law to lie under oath. That's called perjury. It's also against the law to lie in a police statement. 
So when I say it's not against the law to lie, I just mean in general. But it's actually extremely against the law to lie to police or to a judge. But Zexy Lee wants to get paid. She wants the big bucks. So she's going to lie and lie and lie and lie and lie. And when for the first time in her life, a real lawyer asks her questions, well, I think she was crying because she realized what she had done. And she realized that in a real court of law with a real lawyer, she's not going to have the loving reaction that she got when the liberal appointed liberal led commission of inquiry asked her the same questions. I think Zexy Lee is a disastrous witness for the prosecution. I think it shows that they're scraping the bottom of the barrel here. You know, I remember once, um, I think it was Alan Shanoff, who was uh, the defamation lawyer, in-house defamation lawyer for Sun Chain of Newspapers. So he probably saw more defamation notices than any than anyone else. Like if you're representing the entire chain of Sun Newspapers, Toronto Sun, Ottawa Sun, Calgary Sun, Emerson, Winnipeg Sun, I, and they had all these weeklies at the time. Imagine how many defamation threats he got. And uh, I'm pretty sure it was him who told me. He said, Ezra, I'm not scared of the 20-page defamation notice. And you said this, and you said this, and you said this, and this was mean, and this was mean. He said, I'm, I'm afraid of the one-line defamation notices. You said this, and it was wrong. Boom. And his point was, if you've got to scrape together 20 things and just throw the kitchen sink at it, you got nothing. But if, if you've got one thing, uh, we'd better look at that one thing. Do we get that one thing wrong? Because if we got that one thing wrong, we could be in trouble. And that's the analogy I applied to the laughable prosecution of Tamara Leach and Chris Barber. Dozens of know-nothing witnesses who say they know nothing other than how they felt. It's a bit absurd that the court would let them burn up the public's time. When I mean the public's time, the judge's time, the prosecutor's time, the defendant's time, the lawyer's time, the clerk's time, the court's time, when there are real crimes to be tried. It's, it's, it's outrageous that this has gone on this long. But it's what Alan Chanoff said or meant. If you had one witness who said, I saw Tamara Leach do this, and I heard Tamara Leach do that. And when I asked Tamara Leach this, she said that. I was there. I swear on a Bible. I actually recorded some of it also. I saw her commit the crime, and I will testify to that under oath. Okay, now I'm, now I'm scared. Because a direct eyewitness who was there, who's a credible person, not a partisan liberal operative like Zexy Lee, you've got a 20-year veteran of the cops saying... I saw her say this, I filmed it, my body cam caught it all, we saw her do this. That, that I'm scared of. They don't have that. They've got 20 witnesses who didn't see a damn thing. And who, when for the first time in their life are pressed for details, admit they made things up, they exaggerated, they stretched. Oh, and by the way, they've got a personal interest in suing to Mary Leach. So, yeah, maybe they'd lie under oath. As Woody Allen would say, this trial is a tragedy of a mockery of a sham. Travesty of a mockery of a sham. It's a joke. I uh, have a twinkle of hope, though, because if memory serves me correctly, this is the same judge presiding 
who presided over the case of Vice Admiral Mark Norman, the uh, senior military leader who was wrongly prosecuted by Trudeau as a political vengeance. And the Crown misbehaved in that case too. And finally, evidence came out that the Crown was withholding from the court. And it was an outrageous moment and the charges were dropped. I think the government paid every cent of uh, Admiral Norman's uh, legal bill. I think it was the same judge. So I think the judge who is watching this travesty of a mockery of a sham knows about other travesties of mockeries of shams and knows that the liberal government and the Ottawa police can be clowns, can be absolute clowns. And I was really glad to see Lawrence Greenspan when I was there in court, and I'm glad that he's asking the first tough questions these people ask. And you know what? If you're crying after your cross-examination, and by the way, Lawrence Greenspan is a very nice man. He doesn't swear. He doesn't raise his voice. He's never mean. He just, he's just asking questions. He'll make his summation and later. Right now, he's just getting information. So, in fact, you get more information with honey than with vinegar. He's not, I mean, when I was there in court, his questions were um, neutral at worst, friendly at best. So, it's not like he was berating the witness. He was just saying, oh, do you, do you remember when those were? Did you take any notes? Can you tell me exactly what happened? Were you actually run over? Oh, oh you weren't. Okay, but you said you were. Did you file a police report? Okay, you don't, you don't know. Is there anything you do know? Did you ever meet Tamara Leach? How is it an occupation? Why are you calling it that? Very friendly, very gentle. I've seen him in action. I think he's one of the best criminal lawyers in Ottawa. He's excellent. He would, never, he would never berate a, a witness. Not only is that against his personality style, it would be counterproductive. The judge wouldn't like it. The, the court would not be persuaded. Why would you do that if you have a witness who is destroying themselves? That's why Zexie Lee conferred with her lawyer illegally. Oh, I was talking to him for 10 minutes. You heard her. I was talking to him for 5 to 10 minutes about where to get lunch. Were you really? Is that a 5 to 10 minute conversation? When I was in court there... Um, I talked to Tamara Leach about where to go for lunch. We went for lunch. And the conversation was this quick. You know, I'm going to start my, let's, I'm going to reenact the conversation that I had with Tamara Leach because I wanted, I don't want to guess. I remember the conversation. Um, and it went a little bit like this. Oh, hi, where are you guys thinking of going for lunch? Oh, there's this Italian place just down the street. Uh, I'll send you a text with the address. Okay, great. See you there. Okay, so that's nine seconds. That's the conversation I had with Tamara Leach about where to go for lunch. Where are you thinking of going for lunch? An Italian place down the street. I'll text you the address. Okay, see you there. That's nine seconds. That's nine seconds. I was talking to my lawyer for five to ten minutes about where to get lunch. Ten minutes? Ten minutes? Were you making lunch? Were you literally cooking lunch? You wicked liar. You should be in tears because now we know a little bit more about you, Zexy Lee. Well, it's 219. I'm going to get back to work doing other stuff. If you want to watch my show tonight, the Ezra Levant Show, as it's called, go to rebelnewsplus.com. You can subscribe by clicking the subscribe button there. Every day I do a monologue. We tend to have a guest or we have another special segment. Then I read my mail. 
You know what? I got to do super chats here. Let me do super chats before we go. You know what? I don't think we have any, so I'm going to skip over that. I got a special show tonight on the Ezra Levant Show about Ikra Khaled and Omar Al-Gabra, two of Trudeau's high-ranking MPs. Um, I think it'll be an inter interesting one. I hope you join in. Until then, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, goodbye, and keep fighting for freedom. Canadians are grappling with news blackouts on social media due to the Justin Trudeau Liberal government's Bill C-18. This new piece of legislation demands that social media platforms pay the government for news shared by users, which is an inconceivable task for companies like Meta and Google. So, as a result, they have decided to preemptively block all Canadian news content, including ours at Rebel News. In response to this, we have since teamed up with VPN provider Private Internet Access to ensure that you can continue to access all of our content across a broad range of platforms while also maintaining your privacy. For only $2 a month, you can bypass Trudeau's new censorship laws while you safeguard freedom of speech and continue to get the news that matters to you the most. Visit piavpn.com slash rebelnews to take advantage of the 84% discount and four months free. As a bonus, PIA has all of its servers located in the United States, not China, and they automatically delete user data from their servers to avoid leaks and government subpoenas for information phishing expeditions. Don't delay. Head over to piavpn.com slash rebel news to stay up to date on the news in Canada and protect your access to it. Don't delay. You don't want to be left behind.